Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Jerry. Um, also, I realized how tall you are because this pulpit is like, we're, we're going to work with that. But uh, anywho, like Jay will said, I'm Justin Gates. I am a pastoral assistant at Riverside Community Church. And it's an absolute privilege and a pleasure to be able to be with you all today and to be able to open God's word with you. Um, like Joe said, also, we're going to be continuing our series in or Be the Church as we journey through the book of Acts and really see not only how this early church was formed, but how it grew and developed over the course of its history. Uh, but the text written specifically tonight is going to be Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. And I'll give you a second to turn there, and it should be on the screen. But Acts 11, verses 19 and following, and it says, Now those who have been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. And they did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. So around this time last year, I was just started working at Riverside as an intern. And because interns don't make a lot of money, I started uh, looking for another job to work part-time. So after about a month of searching, I got hired to be a bike mechanic at an outdoor recreational equipment store um, that's actually not too far from here. But during my time at this wonderful store, I learned not only how to fix bikes, how to put parts back together, kind of how to set things up for people, um, but I also learned and spent many, many hours in the Carolina sun knowing or installing car racks onto cars. And I spent many, many hours learning about the thousands of products that we had in the store. And I had to know all this so that we could sell it to our customers, make sure they had exactly what they needed. But something that kind of stood out to me being an employee at the store or as a green vester, as we were affectionately called, was that I learned what it meant to be an employee of this organization. 
And as a green vester, we were considered experts in the field, which is a scary title in a sense. Um, but as a bike mechanic, not only was I an expert in building bikes and putting them together and fixing them, but I was an expert in knowing how to fit people on the bike and make sure they had all the gear that they needed to you know, go on these many mile-long adventures in the woods or on the road or wherever. But something else that I learned as being a green vester was what it meant to kind of promote the co-op, as we called it, to make people members of our organization. And not only would we talk about the benefits of being a member, of how they could save money and get all these good deals and products, I won't bore you with those details. I'll be happy to tell you about that at the store. But I learned kind of while I was there, like how much work we had to put in to promoting the co-op. So in the mornings during our huddles, like all the team members would come around and we kind of share tips and tricks on how to better promote the co-op or how to kind of tailor our spiel to make sure that we knew exactly what to say to our customer to bring them in the co-op. And we did this so much, we did this so well actually of promoting the, the membership for our company is that our store had the best conversion rates of any store in the district, that all our hard work was paying off as we're welcoming our customers. So you would often hear like Paul 178, 178 was a store number, or Tanya 178. And when you hear that over the radio, that means that someone became, or went from being a customer to being a member. And there was always this loud cheer and praise and kind of got annoying on the radio after a while. But that's what we did because we wanted to be grateful to see our, our co-op thriving and growing. And I mention all this because there are certain things that, much that must take place for an organization to thrive. In our case, us being green investors, we knew who we were called to be. We knew how to connect not only with each other, but also connect with our customers. And we knew what it meant to be commissioned, in a sense, to be sent off to bring more people back into the co-op. And similarly, the early church in Antioch began to thrive as God was showing these early Christians what it meant to be called to him. What it meant to connect with not only dis or other disciples, other Christians, but what it meant to connect with people outside of the church. And he also was ready to commission them so they could be sent out to proclaim his name until the ends of the age. And so my hope for today, while we're together, is kind of expand upon these things to make them apparent, but also give you very practical things that you can do in order to kind of live like this thriving church. But would you pray with me? Father God, we're so grateful that your word, your word has stood the test of time, and that it's true. Lord, your word is living and active and sharper than double-edged sword. So would you help us here tonight, uh, this afternoon to be receptive of your word and the changing power that it has. Father, open our hearts, our minds, our ears to your word. Maybe we be receptive of it. And Father, may you use me as a vessel for your word to be proclaimed, that I would be humble and faithful to you, that the words that you want me to say, Lord, I would speak with gladness, and the words that you don't want me to say, Lord, would you tame them and keep them from being said. But we give you this time and ask that be used for your glory. Yes, use in Christ's name. Amen. So our text opens up saying that those, speaking of the, the followers of Christ, um, that they've been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen. Now remember in Acts 6 and 7, we saw that these Jewish leaders were kind of upset with Stephen. They're saying that he was blaspheming against Moses and God because that he said that Jesus uh, was basically changing the ways, the customs, and the laws of the Old Testament. And all that's not true. Like Jesus was fulfilling it. He wasn't changing it. Um, but these Jewish leaders at the time thought that he was doing something wrong, so they basically stoned Stephen and were persecuting the early church. So that's why the church was spreading around all these places. And in that same chapter, or the tail end of uh, Acts 7, it says, 
I'm sorry, in the beginning of chapter 8, we saw that these Christians, as they're being persecuted, like while they're traveling, they're also proclaiming the good news of Christ. And that brings us back to verse 19, where it says that they were scattered as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now, all these places are really far from Jerusalem. Phoenicia is kind of like modern-day Lebanon, so a couple hundred miles away. Cyprus is 100 miles off the coast of Judea, Judea, so it's super far away. But what's interesting, Antioch, the kind of the, the, the place where our text is going to be at today, is very, very far north of Jerusalem. It's kind of in between modern-day Syria and Turkey. And what makes Antioch such a special city, especially at this time, is it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's kind of like a cultural and financial hub. Right, So all the trade routes that would connect from the west to the east, or the west to the east for y'all, would go through Antioch. It's kind of like Chicago. Not only is it a transportation hub of people moving all over the world, but it's a financial center. And as these early Christians were making their way north towards the city, they were sharing about... They're sharing about Jesus to the Jews only. The text doesn't really tell us why exactly that's the case, but we're told that there's a dramatic shift that's about to take place. And that's in verse 20, where it says that the men from Cyprus and Cyrene began speaking to the Greeks, that is the Gentiles, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. Luke doesn't really give a name to these men or say where they're from, or he says where they're from, but nothing much else from that. So they seem kind of like ordinary, nameless people that only God knows about. But that kind of makes me ask the question, like, why are these ordinary people, like, going far places away from their homeland to talk about this good news? Like, what exactly is this good news that makes them want to leave everything in order to go? Well, if you read Acts um, chapter 10, verses 34 and following with me, I'll give you a second to turn there. Um, so Acts 10, 34 and following, and it says that Peter began to speak. Now, truly, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to them. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And jumping out of verses 42 and 43, it says that he commanded, speaking of Christ, that he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now, while this is happening right on the tail end of Peter having a vision of like a voice coming to him and saying that he's now able to eat the ceremonially unclean food and the impure animals because God has made him clean. And particularly uh, in this section of chapter 10, it's right on the tail end of coming to Cornelius um, and his family kind of like trying to figure out like what's going on. But here, Peter kind of sees that this vision that he received has so much more significance than what he initially thought of just eating unclean animals. He realized that God was showing, or God was showing no favoritism to anyone, that this good news of peace uh, that comes through Christ is available to all men, including the Gentiles, those who are considered unclean for so long. And more so than that, this peace that came through Christ gives us peace. It brings forgiveness to everyone who believes in him. And in chapter 10, that meant Cornelius and his family can now feast around this one table with the Jew and the Gentile. They're now one in God's kingdom. 
And while we don't know if these Cyprians and Syrians have heard this particular story, we do know that they knew the message of this story. That they knew that through Jesus and his death and resurrection, they took upon himself not only the ceremonial uncleanliness, but their moral uncleanliness. They knew that Jesus hung shamefully and helplessly on a cross as he bore the sins of them, as he bore the entire wrath of God. He did that so they could be healed. And he did that so they could be purified. What was available only to the Jews has now been made available to the Gentiles through Christ. And that's why these men were so willing to leave everything they had off the coast of Africa to go up through the Middle East into these new areas that had not yet known about Jesus because they had something that said, hey, you're with me. You're a Gentile. Well, now this is available to us. Come with me as we figure out who Christ is. And what was good news for them is also good news for us, that Jesus in his compassion and his mercy, he died also for us, that we no longer have to be condemned to receive God's wrath because of our vileness. Rather, if we believe in Christ's work on the cross, that means we've been purified of our sin. That includes the addiction that we've had or are having. That includes the fact that as we lash out in our anger and our frustration with our kids, we have received cleanliness from that. That means we receive cleanliness from acting out in ways that go too far in a physical relationship. Jesus says you're clean. And what makes this good news even better is that it's freely available to all of us. And because it's freely available to all of us, all those who want to believe in Christ, we need to respond like the Cyprians and the Cyrenians and proclaim it to those who are around us so they too can come believe in the saving work of Christ. And that makes me want to ask the question of who do we need to share this good news to? Is it a family member? Is it a coworker? Is it our kids? And that may make you nervous or frightened. Like I've been working in ministry for a couple of years now and it makes me frightened every time I have that conversation. But later in the text, it says that the Lord's hand was with these men, these Cyprians and Cyrenians who have gone far away from their home, that he was with them. And God does the same for us, that he's with us as we go out and proclaim his name, that he's giving us the words that we need. He's giving us the boldness that we need to declare the excellencies of him. And as he guides us, he helps us to plant those little seeds of gospel truth so that he can water them, so that he can nourish them, that he can build growth in the people that we're sharing with. But not only are we called to call others to Christ, we're also called to connect with others who are in Christ. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. It says, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Upon hearing the news about what was happening in Antioch, the church in Jerusalem was like, hey, we're hearing this, like we kind of need to check it out and to verify it. So they took Barnabas and was like, hey, go to this place, come back, tell us what's going on. And what a report does Barnabas have to give? It says that he saw the very grace of God at this young church. He knew that this young church could only have been established and is growing as fast as they are because God's hand was in it. But notice how Barnabas responds to seeing such grace. He was glad. Literally, the Greek says that he was rejoicing exceedingly. 
I kind of, I don't know if you're all familiar with Winnie the Pooh. It's kind of like Tigger as he's jumping around on his tail with all of his excitement. This is what Barnabas is doing, that he's so filled with joy that he just can't contain it. Are we actively seeking to find God's grace like that? Are we rejoicing when we see God's work in us or in other people? Or are we kind of being like Eeyore, of just being solemn and gloomy and not really caring about it? Luke continues his story as he tells us that Barnabas lives up to his name. You know, Barnabas means the son of encouragement, that he's encouraging these new believers. It's not necessarily kind of like what we think of encouragement, like y'all are doing a good job, like keep up the good work, which I'm sure they were doing, but he's saying something more profound. He's saying and encouraging them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. He's basically saying, hey, you guys have this compass that points you in the true direction, the true north, that this compass being Christ will steer you and guide you and bring you back to life even when you drift off course. So pursue that with everything you have. It's kind of like being on a ship that the navigator, he uses his compass and his charts to correct for all the deviations that come with the currents and the winds that pull them off course. He uses those things so they get back to port where they're safe. And that's what Christ does for us, that he's allowing us to be guided back to him because there's true life in him. And I think Barnabas mentions this because the early church is living in a city with many beliefs and philosophies that can clearly steer them away from their savior. So he says, be ready for that. Remain true to the Lord. And I think the same applies for us today, that our culture often draws us away from our Savior. We so often hear, like, you have to work so much harder and get this good job to have some security and some stability in your life. We so often hear that we have to transform and conform and sometimes deform our bodies to fit a particular image on social media in order to be accepted and to be loved. We're so often told that we have to turn to drugs and alcohol to numb the pain that we feel instead of really dealing with it. That if we numb it, that we'll find some sense of happiness. But the thing is, all those things are lies. These lies make us constantly have to do so much more. They tell us that if we do all these things, that we'll find success when success isn't even guaranteed. Or to make it even worse, they say, hey, keep running yourself in the ground until you get to self-destruction. That's what the world tells us. And Barnabas is saying, don't look at that. Look to Christ. Remain in him. As I was thinking on this text this morning, I just thought of Psalm 23, of our great shepherd. He leads us to green pastures and still waters. That Jesus being our great shepherd brings us to those places that give us life. So we remain true to him. We remain true to his word because his promises will always be true. And they'll always satisfy us. They'll always give us what we need to thrive. And we need to remain true to Christ by connecting with him as we read through scripture, as we pray, as we practice these spiritual disciplines in order to cultivate that deep personal relationship with him. When we don't do that to check off a box, we do that with the same level of eagerness, that same level of zeal that Barnabas was encouraging the church to have. And because the Christian faith was never designed to live out in isolation, we remain true to Christ by connecting with one another. We connect with our family. We invite them into our homes for dinner and create a space where they can confess their sin, where they can be prayed over so they can have healing. That we use our words to encourage them, to build them up. We want to speak truth with the aroma of life. 
And as I was reflecting on the text, I realized I so often don't do that. In my last relationship, my girlfriend would often say, Justin, why are you speaking down to me? That my words often would belittle and destroy. And not only is that sinning against a sister in Christ, but I'm not building up the church the way that Barnabas calls us to, that I'm not doing things for the benefit of others, I'm doing it for the benefit of myself. Or maybe you're like me, or maybe you're not like me. Maybe that instead of using words that belittle and degrade, that you use words that gossip and slander. Or maybe you look over those opportunities that God's given you to encourage and just remain passive. Praise God he cleanses us from that. But also praise God that he gives us the power through the spirit that we need in order to speak those words of encouragement, to die to ourself so that we can speak words of life. Luke continues this idea of the body connecting with one another and building each other up in verse 25. He mentions that Barnabas went to Tarsus to search for Paul. Now you might recall from Acts chapter 9 that um, as the Lord was speaking to Ananias directly, he was saying that Saul would be the chosen instrument for the truth of God to go to the Gentiles. And we see later in the same chapter that Paul, as he's trying to proclaim the good news of the Gentiles, he's like, let me join those other disciples. And the disciples, obviously so because of all the persecution that Saul was doing, was like, no, we don't want any part of you. But Barnabas was like, hey, I see that he has received the Lord. I see that he's wanting to live out and for the Lord. And he sees that he's been gifted in that he's declaring the word of the Lord boldly to those in Damascus. Like Barnabas is not only vouching for his brother in the faith, but he's also saying, hey, God's given you a gift. I see that in you. So let's bring you in with us. And I'm sure that Barnabas is thinking about that as he wants Saul to come back to Antioch. That's really why Barnabas left the city to go chase after him because it's like, Saul, do you see like what God's doing? Like there's this young church, they're the Gentiles, the people that not only are you called to speak into, but you have a lot of experience in. So come with me as we help teach this church. And it says they've been there for a year and they're helping this church grow. And it's Barnabas's faithfulness in getting Paul twice now that he would create a long line of faithful ministry. That Saul, as we'll find out, his name's Paul or renamed Paul, would minister to Timothy and build him up and disciple him. And Timothy would do the same with the Ephesian church, of building them up and discipling them and saying, hey, remain true to the Lord. Are we discipling in order to leave a long train of disciples behind us? Are we looking to affirm the different gifts that God has given each and every one of us and saying, hey, so-and-so, you have this gift. Let me put you in a position so that you can hone your gift and sharpen it to make it stronger, that you're living out the calling that God's given you. Are we really pushing people to pursue Christ wholeheartedly while calling others to come join us? What's great about this text is that ordinary people are doing this. Remember these nameless Cyprians and Cyrenians that you don't have to have a master's degree in divinity. You don't have to have a PhD or have all kinds of experience. You have to be faithful to God. And that's what he uses to build his kingdom. But you might be asking, how in the world do we do this? It all seems impossible. In a lot of ways, you're right. It's totally impossible if we do it out of our own strength and our own wisdom. But look at verse 24. It says that he, speaking of Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Literally, the Greek word for full means thoroughly permeated with. In other words, like Barnabas was so devoted to pursuing the Lord that the Spirit 
touched every single part of his body, that he was thoroughly saturated with the Spirit. And that, my friends, is how we live a life of connection, how we live a life of discipleship. This is through the power of the Spirit. And similar, similarly, are we letting the word penetrate deep into our hearts and touch and transform all parts of us? Are we letting God's powerful word move throughout our bodies like blood? Like, not only does it give nutrients and oxygen to the organs, but it gives it to each individual cell, the things that make up every part of our body. Like, if we get cut, are you bleeding Bible? That's a quote from John Piper, by the way, but I can't take credit for that. Um, but when we do that, people begin to notice because we'll stand out. And that's why in verse 26, it says that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, this term probably was coined by the Romans to be an insult, but much to their dismay, I believe, this is actually a great compliment. To quote Matthew Henry, who's an author and a theologian, he says, being a follower of Christ notes one who, from serious thought, embraces the religion of Christ, believes the promises, and makes it his chief care to shape his life by Christ's precepts and example. What great honor is it to be called a follower of one, and all who transforms all of you, to give your life and follow Christ wholeheartedly with your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what this church in Antioch is doing. Continuing on, what happens when the saints faithfully pursue the Lord? It says a large numbers of people were added to the Lord. That a natural outflow of being filled by God is evangelism and discipleship. That we are so full of joy and hope in Christ that we can't help but proclaim it. That we can't contain it because it's so good we want everyone else to know it. And that brings us to our last point, is that we're commissioned to serve. Look at verses 27 through 30 with me. It says, In those days some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, that one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. And they did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. In these verses, we see something incredibly remarkable take place. Last week, Jay will preached on verses 1 through 18 of this chapter, and he showed us that the church in Jerusalem was appalled that Peter would eat with the Gentiles, the unclean people. But upon hearing this and putting his visions together and speaking to Cornelius, he was like, hey, God declared that what was unclean is now clean. And now the spirit that he's given us, you know, the gift of the spirit, that salvation is now given to the Gentiles as well. Therefore, Peter could no longer justify hindering what God has given the Gentiles. And what happens after that? It's really funny how God works. It says that the Jews became silent and glorified God. And they said that God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. And in the text we have today, that is being lived out. As a way of showing this new unity between the Jews and the Gentiles, the church in Jerusalem sent prophets to the church of Antioch. They're forming this partnership. They wanted each other to grow. And as the, pop, the prophet spoke about this impending famine, the Antioch, the Antioch church, full of Gentiles, those who were first rejected by this church in Jerusalem, they gave cheerfully to them. 
But what does the text say? They gave cheerfully to their brothers and brothers and sisters, that they were now family, they were now united. The dividing wall that existed is now gone. And remember, Antioch being this trade city, this large city in the Roman Empire, is probably pretty wealthy. So these people that were sending monies or sending money to the church in Jerusalem, it's probably a pretty sizable donation, if you ask me. We don't know, but that's my speculation. But why do they do this? Because they're not living on mission to care for the non-Christian, but they're living on mission to care for the Christian. And because the global church is united under Christ, speaking of the church today, that we should no longer let cultural and racial barriers divide us because we're all brothers and sisters in the faith. More so, more so than that, we give cheerfully both of our finances and of service so that we can care for our church family. And as we serve one another, we are then able to go back out and engage with the culture and the people that, who are around us. And we do that because we want to be an instrument that God uses to restore the world in its broken state back to a better state, one that has a better reflection of where we're going, one that looks somewhat like the heavenly kingdom. And though we can't have it all here yet, we can try. And we can pursue that reconciliation. So no, Jay will always leave you with a sticky note. I'm not going to do that in a sense. Um, because my, the, my former place of employment was very environmentally conscious, I'll give you an e-note, an electronic note, uh, in that the thriving church is first filled so that it can build. The thriving church is first filled so that it can build. That the church devotes itself to pursuing God so that God can then use the church to build his kingdom. And as we leave here today, I want to encourage you and challenge you to remind yourself of who, who you are and what it means to be called to God, to be called a Christian. Think through the different ways that you can better connect not only with those who are in the faith, but also those who are outside the faith, so that they hopefully come into the faith. And finally, think through what it looks like for you to live on mission as you call others to the one who sent you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we're so grateful that you have given us your spirit. Not only does that seal us in the faith and seal us for the inheritance that you're wanting to give us, Lord, but it means that we can live a life now that's devoted to you, live a life of power and boldness to proclaim your excellencies, Lord. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that they would see your power. They would be reminded of what it means to live for you and to be devoted to you, Lord, that you would encourage them in their faith. And as they are encouraged, Lord, that they would encourage others. Father, would you be with us this afternoon, be with us throughout the rest of the week, that we may live on mission, proclaim the excellencies of you until you return.